0: you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to go to the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 14 to verse 19. If you don't have a Bible, you can look for it on your digital device there, or we'll have it on the screen in just a moment. I encourage you to look look at this with me this morning, Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 14, these are the words of Paul, and they are a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. If you wonder what's an Ephesian, uh, the Ephesians were the people of the city of Ephesus. You're an American, they were Ephesians. All right? And so Paul is writing this letter to them. I want to be focusing on just a couple of lines in the text, but I want you to read the whole prayer with me this morning. and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask, according to the power which is at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And I ask you to anoint the hearing of this congregation, that they might hear the word and receive it as seed sown into the fertile soil of their hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to share with you this morning about the grace of God. And I want to just use as a title, Snapshots of Grace. I want to be sharing three stories from the Old Testament that reveal and and demonstrate the grace of God in different circumstances of our life. And as I do that, I want you just to think about uh, yourself in those different situations and scenarios. Because whether the story is exactly like your own life, from time to time, the circumstances are exactly the same. But mostly the the needs are the same. And I want you to realize with me as we go through uh, these uh, stories that God is able to demonstrate to you His love and His grace in every scenario and circumstance that your life may find itself in. The Apostle Paul talks about the greatness of God's love and the greatness of God's grace. And he says that he is praying for the Ephesians that they might come to know the height and the depth, the width, the broadness of the grace of God. And that they would come to know this in their inner man. So before I go real deep into this message, I just want to let you know that anything that you and I will receive from God, we must first receive by faith in our inner man. It all starts inside. You see, what is inside of man comes out of him. If there is peace and tranquility in your heart and in your life and your inner man, there will be peace and tranquility in your life. If there is hostility and frustration in your inner man, then that's what's going to come out in your life. And so what God did by sending Jesus to the cross was he sent Jesus to the cross to to change the life of the inner man. And the Bible calls that a new birth. God sent Jesus into the world that he might give us a spiritual life. And when you have a spiritual life in God, when you have a life given to you by the Spirit of God, now you are now able to express that life and to enjoy the blessing of God in the, the outer man, in the rest of your life. But it all begins in the, in the spirit of man. The Bible says that out of the the recesses of a man's heart, he will speak. What's hidden in our heart will sooner or later come out of our mouth. So often our mouth tells us what our inner man is feeling, what our inner man is thinking. It reveals to us our inner man and our spirit's need for God. This is the greatest need any person can ever have, is a need for God. You see, friend, you can have money and you can have influence, you can have a good job, a nice house, a comfortable bed, a happy uh, or blessed family. And yet if your inner man has not been uh, connected to God by faith, if you have not had a, an experience uh, with, with the Lord Jesus Christ, the transformation of your heart, then all of those other things are not going to count for much and not for much at all in eternity. So Paul is praying that we will come to know God in all of his greatness. But this has to begin in our inner man. That this will begin in our heart. That we will get a revelation of God's love. A revelation of God's grace. A glimpse of how awesome God is. And That out of the wellspring of that knowledge will flow faith toward God. The first story I want to tell you about uh, concerning the grace of God takes place in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. In that uh, passage of scripture beginning in chapter 35 of Isaiah, we see the city of Jerusalem, the capital city of the nation of Israel. They have been surrounded by an enemy army called the Assyrians. And the Assyrians have already devastated all of the nations around Israel. They've taken captive a great number of strong powers, that were neighboring to Israel, and now they have come into the land of Israel. They have surrounded the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is now, uh, as it were, completely ready to be destroyed. They are under siege. No one can get out. No one can get in. Despair starts to set in to the city. This little city of Jerusalem, upon which God had shown His grace and mercy and His favor, has now found itself in a place of absolute desperation. The Bible tells us about that time. It tells us that in that day, mothers were tempted to eat the bodies of their dead children. There was such a famine in the city, such a critical need for deliverance. and There was in the heart of the king a strategy to go to Egypt and ask for help from the Egyptian Pharaoh. The Bible said that the prophet Isaiah came to the king, Hezekiah, and he said, look, don't go back to Egypt. That's where God brought you out of. That's what God delivered you from. That's what God saved you from. He brought you out of slavery to Egypt. Don't go back and make yourself a slave to Egypt. Because you see, that's friend, that's the tendency of man. When we get into trouble, we tend to go back to the things that we used to know. The things that used to be our support, our strength, and our help. And yet you don't realize that that's the very thing God delivered you from. That those are the very relationships God brought you out of. That that's the very brokenness that God brought you and healed you from. And so God is telling the nation of Israel, don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to the old way. Don't go back to the path of bondage. Look to God. Look to God as your source of deliverance. Look to God as your source of strength. He says, don't make plans that are not of my spirit or alliances that are not of my spirit. God was telling King Hezekiah, don't make a deal with the devil. Don't make an alliance with the world. Put your trust and faith in God. Israel found itself in this desperate situation because of its sin, because it had rejected God, because it had abandoned the voice of God and the word of God. But see, friends, although they were in that desperate place, God was still willing to incline his ear to them. He was still willing to give them his grace. The Bible says that the the general of the army of the Assyrians brought a letter to King Hezekiah. And the letter, you can read it there in chapter 35 of Isaiah. It basically said this. It said, the gods of the other nations... whom whom we have invaded, have not been able to stand up against the Assyrian army. Their gods have not been able to deliver them. And the question in the letter was, how will your god be able to deliver you? Your god will not be any better or any stronger than the gods of the nations that we have already invaded. The Egyptian gods failed them. The gods of Moab failed them. And your God will fail you too. And can I cannot just tell you, friends, that that's where they made their mistake. Because you see, it's one thing to mess with the people. But it's a whole other thing to deal with God. And they brought God into the matter. And the Bible said that Hezekiah and Isaiah took that letter into the presence of the Lord. They went into the temple. They went into the house of prayer. And they laid it before God. And they wept before God that God would send deliverance to Israel. Can I tell you, friends, when you get a letter like that, and sometimes it's not a letter, sometimes it's an email, sometimes it's a text message, sometimes it's just a thought. And the enemy comes against you and says, you're going dis- to be destroyed. You're going to fail. Your marriage is going to end in disaster. Your family is going to be a disaster. The enemy comes and tells you, you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your, your finances. You're going to lose your advantage. Can I just tell you, friend, don't go and run to Egypt Don't go and run to the world. Run to God. Run to the house of God. Take it to God in prayer. God will take care of it. Come on, somebody. God is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or even think. And they brought that troubling news and that threatening letter to the Lord. The Bible said that that night while they slept, the angel of the Lord came into the camp. Of the Assyrians think about this one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night and God provided a deliverance for Israel such that Israel had not ever seen before God provided a deliverance for that city that was in a desperate situation because although they had sinned, because although they had forsaken God, they came to him in repentance and they found the grace of God. They found the unmerited favor of God toward their life. What is grace? Grace is when God gives us what we did not deserve. Friends, I'm telling you today, there is a God that is able to deliver you out of the most hopeless of circumstances and situations. And his grace toward you is greater than you could ever imagine or ever think. You say, Pastor, I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded by trouble this morning. I'm surrounded by fear and anxiety and worry. I'm surrounded by, by, the, uh, by the past and my shame and my guilt. I'm surrounded by financial trouble. I'm surrounded by relationship issues. I'm surrounded by problems with my rebelling kids. Can I tell you, friend, it may look like you're surrounded, but God is greater than that. And God is on your side. If you will call upon him by faith, you can see his grace. Manifested in your life. Somebody say amen. Amen. The second story I want to tell you about is about a a stranger, a foreigner, who came to the nation of Israel. The Bible tells us about Abimelech and Ruth. Pardon, Naomi. They went into into Moab because the city where they lived, the city of Bethlehem, had come into a famine. There was, again, desperate need. People were in need of food, and so they left to find work in another country. They went to Moab, and their sons went with them, and things did not go well for them. Their two sons married two foreign daughters, or two women of in Moab, in the end and then their sons died. Naomi's husband also died. Before she knew it in a matter of years, Naomi was a widow, and she had lost both of her sons, and she was in absolute poverty. The Bible says she called her daughters-in-law to herself, and she said, girls, I can't do anything else for you. You need to go on home. Go back to your moms and your dads. Go back to your families. My life is in ruins. It's in shambles. I have nothing more to offer you. She said, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem and see what I can do in that land, back in my home country. The Bible tells us that Orpha, one of the daughters-in-law, not Oprah, but Orpha, she said to her her mother-in-law, I'm going to go back to my family. I'm going to go back to my home. And yet Ruth, the other daughter-in-law, said to her, she said, Naomi, where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I'll stay. And your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Naomi uh, was a Jewish woman. And Ruth was saying to her, I'm going to become a Jew just like you. I'm going to serve Yahweh, the God of Israel. And wherever you live and whoever your people are, that's who I'm going to be. She made a decision that day that even though she was in the most desperate of circumstances, that she would hazard all of her hopes upon the people and the God of Israel so they went back to Bethlehem. They left to this, uh, this place of Naomi's uh, heritage with nothing in their hands. They were absolutely broke. They were poor. They were in complete and total financial ruin. Now, in those days, there was a, a welfare system in the nation of Israel that is quite different from the one we have here in the United States. And in, that, in those days, the law of Moses, the law of God, required that when you harvested a field, let's say you had planted a field of grain, that you could harvest the entire field except the corners of the field. And so the corners of the field would be left for the poor. They would be left for the people who had no other recourse to come and harvest grain so that they could eat. There was another part of the law that said that while the worker was going down the field and bundling up the wheat, into into sheaves that if he dropped any uh, stalks of grain on the ground, he could not go back and pick them up because those also would be for the poor. and So the poor would come into the fields, and they would glean. They would take what was left, the few things here and there, the crumbs, the grain that had been left behind. And this was their means of subsist- subsistence. They weren't going to have it brought to their home. There wasn't gonna be a check in the mail. They had to go and do something to bring home the grain. Naomi tells Ruth about this. She says, Ruth, you're gonna to have to go into the field and see what you can bring home for us to eat. And So Ruth, being a stranger in a foreign land, she's a Moabite in a Jewish world. She goes to find a field where she can glean. She finds a particular field. She doesn't know who it belongs to. She doesn't know anything about this place. And she starts to collect stocks of grain, one here, one there, a little here, a little there. The Bible tells us that the field which she found belonged to a man named Boaz. Boaz was a rich man. He was a man of extraordinary wealth and influence. And not only this, but he was a relative of Naomi. And the Bible says when he saw Ruth, Well, it doesn't say this, but it pretty much implies that when he saw Ruth, he saw Ruth. You know what I'm talking about. He asked asked his workers, he said, who is that woman? Who is that lady over there in that field? He didn't just want to know her name. He wanted to know who this woman was. They said to her, that is Ruth, the foreigner, the Moabite, who has come with Naomi from Moab back to Bethlehem. And he told the laborer in the field, he said, look, when you're going down the road... And, uh, and you are uh, tying up the sheaves of grain from time to time. Leave a handful of grain on purpose for Ruth. Uh, guys, I'm telling you how to win her heart. Alright, right here. You just leave a handful of grain on purpose. and Let me tell you what happened that day. Ruth was going by picking one stalk here, one stalk there, a little here, a little there. But then suddenly there was a handful here and a handful there and another handful and another handful. What was happening? She was receiving the grace and favor of Boaz. Let me tell you friend, before she knew it, her was was overflowing with grain because she had found favor and grace in the sight of this man. Can I tell you this morning, maybe you've been going a little here and a little there, just barely getting by, just barely making it, but God has sent a word and he has said give them handfuls of purpose. I have provided grace and abundance for my people. Come on, somebody give God praise in his house this morning for his overwhelming grace What is grace? Grace is when you receive what you did not deserve. Ruth was not a Jew. She was not an Israelite. She did not deserve this grace. But she found what she did not deserve because the good hand of God was upon her life. And can I tell you, friend, the story doesn't end there. Because that morning she arrived on a stranger's field. And that morning she arrived in a place she didn't know. But before long she was going to marry Boaz and Ruth would own the field. Ruth would own the harvest. Come on, somebody. God is better than you think. God is gooder than you think. Come on. God is so good you have to make up words to describe how good he is. Somebody ought to give God praise this morning for his amazing grace. Is there anybody in here that's ever found a handful of purpose in your life when you said, I didn't deserve this, but this is what God has done. That's the goodness of God. The last story I want to tell you about is about a boy, a young man. He's in a parable in the New Testament. He comes to his father and he says, Father... I want you to give me my share of the inheritance. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to wait till you die. I want you to give me what's mine now. His father gave him his share of the inheritance. And the boy went off to make his own way. But the Bible said that he squandered his living. He squandered his father's wealth on Drugs and alcohol and illicit sex and pleasures. Before long, he reached into his pocket and there was not a coin left. He had wasted it all. He could have turned it into an investment and made something of what his father had given to him. Instead, he wasted it all. And now he's in desperate need. He is in an absolute crisis. The Bible said he finally uh, found himself in the midst of a famine. The Lord sent a famine. The Lord sent a a crisis into that boy's life. Because you see, sometimes when a person will not see see clearly, God has to send a a little trouble into their life to get their attention. That's why if you have some rebelling children, you can't go rescue them every time. Sometimes you've got to let God send a little famine into their life so that they can see what, what God can do. This boy found himself in such a desperate need. He was a Jewish boy, but he found a job feeding pigs. And you know, the, the Jews cannot eat pigs. They're kind of not even supposed to touch pigs. And here he's gone so low that he's feeding pigs. And the Bible said he was so hungry, he desired to eat the food that they ate doesn't get much worse than that. And one day while he's in that desperate situation, the Bible says that he came to himself. His inner man had a thought. And he said, How many of my father's servants have food enough and to spare? And yet here I am trying to or wanting to eat the pig's food. Now, I want you just to think about that statement because he got a revelation of what Paul was talking about right here in Ephesians. He caught a picture of the abundance of the Father. He said, how many of my father's servants, there are so many people in my father's house, they don't rank as high as I do, but they're eating better than I am. What did he get a glimpse of that day? Was that the smallest person in the household of God is doing better and is doing a greater thing than the greatest person in the household of the world. Come on, somebody. When you're walking with God, when you're living with the Father, you're walking in blessing. He said, how many of my father's servants are eating better than I am? He said, I will arise and I will go to my father. And I'm going to ask him to make me one of his slaves. To just let me be one of his servants. I'm going to ask him to let me work for him. I used to sit at his table, but I don't care if I have to eat in the barn. I just want a better life than the one I've got right now. And I know that my father, if he'll just make me a slave or a servant, will let me have that kind of life. And the Bible said that he got up. That was his thought. He was hoping. His, he, he, he must have assumed there's no way. There is no way my dad will take me back into the house, but at least he might give me a job. He must have thought, at least he'll give me some work so that I can get out of this desperate need. While he's walking back to the house of his father, the Bible said that his father saw him. And his father, when he saw him, he ran to him. And he embraced him. He hugged him. And he, he, he embraced him with such love. And then the Bible said that he told his servants, go and bring my son a new suit of clothes and put some new shoes on his feet and bring him the family ring and place it upon his finger. Because my son, he didn't say my employee, he didn't say my worker, he said my son who was lost has been, has been found. Come on somebody, this boy found the grace of God. He found the grace and the goodness of God, he didn't deserve. He didn't deserve it. But he found it. Because this is the God that we serve. Listen, I don't care where you are this morning. I know where you are in, in your physical life, but I don't... It doesn't matter where you are in your, in your spirit. It's as far as you can be from God, you cannot be any further than the grace of God. God can always reach you, friend. God can always help you, friend. God's love can always rescue you. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about the grace and the goodness of God. David said it. He said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all of the days of my life. I want you to notice what Paul says here. He says, I want you to know what is the the breath, the breath of the grace of God. How wide is God's grace? God's grace is so wide, friends, that it encompasses all humanity. Any person who will come to God by faith in Jesus can find the grace of God. Let me tell you, friends, when Jesus died on the cross, his blood was so effective that it reached back all the way to Adam and covered every person who died from Adam unto the cross in faith. If they died in faith, they were covered by the blood of Jesus. But his blood didn't only do that. His blood also reached forward. It reached all the way past Martin Luther. It reached all the way past the Reformation. It reached all the way to the year 2019. It reached right where you are right now and it covered you with the grace of God and it'll cover every man, woman, and child until the day of Christ. They will put their faith in Jesus. That's how wide the grace of God is. So wide you can't get around it. God's Word says that God so loved the world, not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, the world, not just the rich, not just the poor, the world, not just the educated, but also the uneducated. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You say, preacher, how do I get this grace? How do I receive this unmerited love of God in my life? Friend, you receive it by simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This grace is not only wide, but Paul says, How long is this grace? How far can the grace of God reach? God's grace can reach so far as you can go. And friend, I would recommend to you, Don't go any further than you've gone already. Because the world will offer you many things and it will disappoint you in all ways. The world will offer you pleasure and leave you longing for more. The world will offer you a thirst quencher and leave you thirstier than you already were. The world will offer you bread, but their bread is made of gravel, unable to satisfy the soul. Don't run any further than you've run already. Run today to Jesus. He is the Savior. He is the Deliverer. He is the Healer and he is the hope come on somebody it's Jesus Jesus alone that can make the difference in your life what is the height of the grace of God God's grace extends to the heavens the psalmist says in Psalm 36 verse 5 his loving kindness extends to the heavens and his faithfulness reaches to the skies his righteousness is like a mighty mountain Oh, friend, the grace of God is so high that it can reach heaven and also reach the earth. Do you realize today that there is a grace covering for your life? That can give you access to the very throne of the living God. There is an elevator that goes all the way to the top, friend. It's not money. It's not passion. It's not pleasure. It's not self righteousness. It's the blood of Jesus that can bring you whole and complete into the presence of the living God. You know what the proverb says? The proverb said that a man's righteousness, a man's own ability or own effort to please God, is like is like laying in a bed with a short blanket. Have you ever laid in a bed with a short blanket? You pull it down to your feet, now your arms are cold. You cover your arms, now your feet are cold. You turn it at an angle. That blanket's not going to cover. That is the best that the world can offer, friend. That is the best that self-righteousness can give. All of your self-effort can only give you what a short blanket can give you. But there is a grace provided by God that covers sin to the uttermost. It is able to save and to deliver you and to make you whole. Come on, somebody. There is a God who loves you. And he hasn't left you half covered. But he has provided a grace that is all-encompassing. And more than enough. And then Paul talks about the depth of the grace of God. He said, Preacher, I've hit rock bottom. I've gone as low as a man can go. I've gone as low as a person can go. Friend, the grace of God is still lower than that. You know what God's grace is like? You're in a hundred foot or a hundred-yard hole. Have you ever been in a 100-yard hole? I mean, so deep, you can't get out. God brings a 1,000 yards worth of rope. That's how God works. He's got you covered. He's got more than you need. But you see, this morning, that grace can be available to you, and you never enjoy it. You never experience it. Until you put faith in Christ. It's Christ alone, friends. That can give you access to the love of God in your heart. You see, it's not not God's will for you to just know intellectually that he loves you. He wants you to know it in your heart. In your inner man. It's, It's a grace that God is made available, not because you deserved it, but because he loved you. Not because I deserved it or merited it, because I certainly did not and do not, but because of God's love. And you and I can only enjoy that by faith in Jesus. By putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible said that if you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That's all God is looking for from you. He's looking for you to put your faith in him. To stop trusting in your own way. To stop trusting in your own wisdom. To stop trusting in your own strength. And to trust in him. Because he is the only one that can bring you out of the impossible situation that has surrounded you. And he is the only one that can give you favor in a strange land. And he is the only one that can receive you as a father when you've blown it big time. And that's his will and plan for your life, for you to know him and for you to know his love. But you know what else else grace is? Grace isn't just God's unmerited favor toward man. There's one more thing that grace is. Grace is God's help for the time of trouble. The apostle Paul said this. He said, I work harder than all of the other apostles, and yet not I. But the grace of God working in me. Paul was saying there is a power on the inside of me that gives me the strength to stand up against the pressures of life. And I'm speaking this morning to some people who are under pressure. They're getting squeezed by life. Squeezed by it needs and circumstances and and maybe you don't even really have a a tangible problem in your life you just feel something's not right I just don't feel good and you're under that pressure of life in those circumstances somebody said that when God closes one door he'll open another but it's hell in the hallway some of you right now are in that hallway, and you're just saying, God, I just don't know what is going on in my life. And that pressure seems to be crushing. But today, God says to you, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is enough. If you will put your faith in me and just give me this problem, hand it over to me, I will produce in you power, and strength to withstand the pressures of life and to be able to smile at the future and say, God is good, my life is good, and I'm going to see the goodness of God in my life. And that grace is available to you by faith in Jesus Christ. God wants you to know his grace this morning. a kind of grace that is at work on the inside of you. That's the grace of God that's at work in you. When somebody says something that would have normally set you off, but you just handle it like a pro, you handle it like a Christian, and you walk away saying, what just happened? God's grace was at work. Oh, you guys are so sanctimonious this morning. Like, no, Pastor, I've never had anything like that going on in my life. That grace is available to you. When the doctor says to you, you have a disease I can't cure. And instead of being crushed, you are encouraged that God is in control, that God has more power, that God is able. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about the grace of God. And tell me if it hasn't been the grace of God that has brought you through some really tough places. If it hasn't been the grace of God that has brought you out of pits and out of despair and destruction. And you can say this morning, if it had not been for the grace of the Lord, I would have failed. I would have fallen. I would have been destroyed. And friend, the same grace that brought you through last time is the same grace of work in your life right now to bring you through the pressure you're in this morning. Just put your faith and your trust in Jesus. He'll work it out. Tell your neighbor, he'll work it out. Tell your other neighbor, he'll work it out. Now do this. Tell yourself, he'll work it out. Say it again. Just tell yourself, he'll work it out. Come on, you got to know this in your heart. Because Paul said, I want you to know this in your inner man, inside, in my spirit. I know God is in control, and God is going to work it out, and God is going to get glory out of my life. Come on, somebody. God is in control, and God will work it out. He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or even imagine. Trust Him today. Look to Him alone. His grace will reach you where you are. And his grace will sustain you where you are. Would you stand with me this morning? I want us just to sing the words of that old hymn, Amazing Grace. And then I want to make an altar call this morning. But let's just sing about the goodness of God, the grace of God. How wide it is. How tall it is. How deep it is. How broad it is.